Welcome to the Open to Hope show. I'm your host, Dr. Gloria Horsley, with my daughter and co-host. Dr. Heidi Horsley. Well, you know, Heidi, we did a couple of shows with Bessel van der Korp, the guy who wrote The Body Keeps Score. And wow, that was a few years ago. And, you know, maybe a couple. And they're great shows. But um, the mind-body connection, I mean, he was the first person that I really felt strongly brought it in. And, and I have always said, when your brother died, uh, like 40 years ago, it was like my hitting a brick wall going in 90 miles an hour. Mm. You know, it is such a body thing. I was surprised. I was a therapist at the time. And I, I really, you know, had done all this head stuff. I consulted to the surgical service and it was kind of all in your head. You know, we were talking about the stages of grief and what you're going to do and how you're going to go through it. It's all this intellectual stuff. Then it happened to me and I'm like, whoa, this is not just about beating your head. People talk about the psychological and emotional impacts of grief and loss, but they don't talk enough about the physical and how it impacts us physically. Yeah. So we're going to talk today about grief and integration of the mind and body. And we've got such a great example. I'm really excited about the show, Heidi. So you want to introduce her and uh, we'll- Me too. Cliffhanger about why you're excited. I'm going to tell <laughs> I'm going to tell everyone right now why you're excited because I'm excited too. So <laughs> we are speaking today- like you said, about grief and the integration of mind and body with Dr. Sherry Walling. She is an Open to Hope writer, so you can go to Open to Hope and read more of what she's written. And after losing her dad to cancer and her brother to suicide, she began exploring the mind-body connection by performing as a circus aerialist. You heard it here, mom, a circus aerialist. I think it's so cool. She is the author of Touching Two Worlds, a guide for finding hope in the landscape of loss. She has a podcast called Zen Founder, which has been downloaded over 1 million times. And she did a TED Talk where she talks about the mind-body connection. And you can watch her as a circus aerialist. And you need to watch her as a circus aerialist because I was so impressed. It's absolutely incredible. So welcome to the show, Sherry. It is wonderful to be with both of you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you on today. Talk a little bit about, uh, here, here you are a psychologist, and then you have your dad, you're with him at the hospital and all that. You have him uh, die of cancer, and then your brother dies by suicide. He dies six, yeah, months, six months later. Six yeah. months to the day. Yeah. Wow. You know, it's so, I mean, for me, I think as a psychologist, like like you're talking about, Dr. Gloria, the sense in which you have it all in your head. You've you have the stages of grief, you've got these frameworks, but in my own lived experience where I was at that time in my life, it just didn't feel sticky enough. Like it didn't feel like I could grasp onto it and find a lot of comfort in the psychological frameworks and kind of the intellectual understanding of grief that I'd had up to that point. And so for me as a sister and a daughter, um, I really experienced heartache my heart hurt, my body hurt. I didn't sleep well. I felt sick. I felt off. And so given how uh, visceral and embodied my experience of grief was, I sort of went looking around for something that would help me anchor my experience of grief back into my body so I could sort of move it through. And I had known Bessel van der Kolk's work. I'd done some training with him as a professional. And so I was really thinking about that embodiment piece pretty early on in my grief journey. You had these two shocks, one right after the other. Did you start doing some physical like walking and things to start with? 
I mean, were you thinking about moving your body? Well, I, I trained to be a yoga teacher before this happened. So I, as I mentioned, I'd trained with Bessel van van der Kolk. I was really thinking about what we could offer people in the context of grief and trauma that would help them land in their bodies. So I knew it intellectually and it was already in my framework. I was already engaging it. Um, And I began kind of dabbling in the circus arts before I lost my dad and brother, but it was as these losses happened that it almost became a thing I needed in order to breathe. It was sort of the one place when I was at aerial training that my body and brain were both absorbed in doing this one specific activity. And I kind of had a little bit of a relief from grief because I was so focused on doing this thing that's pretty dangerous and you have to really focus on it. And it gave me, um, I think, a little bit of a break, but it also gave me a place to fuel or to channel some of those really big emotions that I was tired of talking about. I was tired of using language. I wanted to use some other form of expression and so was grateful to have it available to me through my body. I actually did golf. Uh, my husband mm-hmm. recently and uh, two and a half years ago, and I just spent a lot of time golfing every day. Yeah. Uh, you know, that was, gave me that same physical kind of movement through. Heidi, have you found physical stuff for you with your dad's death? Oh yeah, definitely. I, I'm a big wa- urban walker. I live mm-hmm. a block from Central Park. So <laughs> that's, I, I do, I walk six miles every day. Um, and that's been really helpful. And, you know, if I'm not, if I'm not doing well, I walk, I'll go out several times, you know, between clients, et cetera, and walk. So, yes. And, you know, Sherry, the thing that was really amazing about what you did is you really express yourself and had different stages during the area, you know, like the beginning and the middle and the end, like the finding hope, you know, all these places and just the way that you, not, not just physically, but your body language. Pause. Pause. Deep pause. We step back into time, seeking a cause, unpuzzling the pieces of broken shadows with sharp claws, the ones that sink deep into skin-torn lives lost. But now we are here in this stillness to reflect, to sew stitches we choose, to repair and move on holding this story with wide and open palms. Touching Two Worlds is about the struggle to dwell in the world of joy, aliveness, and connection, while also living in the world of grief, illness, and death. It is about the mental health battles being fought all around us every moment, every day. So I would like to tell you a story about my brother Dave. But let me start at the beginning. Before everything falls apart, it begins together. Sherry, keep an eye on Dave. Sherry, can you hold Dave's hand? Sherry, where's your brother? I've seen this role as a deep privilege. 
a gift to be able to be helpful, a gift to love someone, a gift to have a brother, a gift to share life together. The path to destruction begins so quietly. Treatment progress, stability, hope, turn to relapse, midnight calls from emergency rooms, failing treatment, trying again, loneliness and fear, inexperienced therapists, underfunded programs, helpful ER doctors. In the middle of all of this, our dad died of cancer and Dave was rocked to the core. There wasn't one thing that caused Dave to end his life. It wasn't one moment or one situation. It's not as simple as grief or alcohol or depression. It wasn't his lost relationship with his son or his financial troubles. There's no neat label. It was all of those things. It was 10,000 things, 10,000 moments. His heart broke in little ways for years. I really wish you could have known my brother. I wish you could have met him. He was sweet and shy and kind and had the most brilliant, beautiful blue eyes. And the world is a tiny bit worse because he's not here. Not for me, it's way worse for me. But it's a tiny bit worse for you too. Mental illness is the pandemic of the shadows. It happens to the overworked and overwhelmed. It happens to those who experience trauma, heartbreak, and loss. It happens to all of us. But we're slow to talk about it. And the silence is killing us. All of us in this show are showing you the mechanisms that we've used to soothe our own broken hearts because art heals, and movement heals, and community heals. A connection to beauty heals, play heals, joy heals. Unsurprisingly, grief in its sadness becomes a certain kind of fuel, a fire even, that burns away the bullshit and helps us to be really clear about what we think is important and who we choose to care about and how we want to spend our time. So join me in believing that we can do better for people like Dave and for Mark. Let's move their stories out of the shadows and into the light, refusing to hide their experiences or accept their outcomes as inevitable. Let's transform heartache into fire. I think the thing I want to say about it too is um, I don't have any background as a dancer or as a gymnast even. And I started this practice around the time that I turned 40. So I think when you see it all polished and put together in a costume and everything, it looks um, 
I, I'm proud of it. I think it looks beautiful, but I think it can also look inaccessible. And I want to say that that's probably not true. Maybe someone who's experiencing grief, isn't going to start an aerial practice right now in this moment, but a dance practice, there's a form of dancing called five rhythms dancing. That was from uh, Gabrielle Roth, uh, largely birthed out of Esalen in Big Sur. If you are a little bit, a little bit hippie, but her model do you know it? <laughs> yeah. Her model pairs different forms of dance with different rhythms and different emotions. So there's a space for chaos and there's a space for structure. And again, it's very accessible movement to anybody at any age and any place in their grief. It doesn't have to be this sort of polished circus performance. What I love mom is Sherry at the beginning, as you remember said, when I first did it, I was like getting burned or whatever rope burns. I didn't know how to do it. And I went home and I said, never again. Yeah. And then you kind of thought about it and lived with it, with it and decided, Hey, wait, I do want to try this again. Go home and cry. I think I go <laughs> yes. home and cry. Bruises. Yeah. <laughs> but I think there's an interesting parallel to grief, right? My I was so uncomfortable. My body hurt. I was squeezed. I was upside down. I felt out of control and it really matched how I felt in my life during this most intense period of grief. And so to have a parallel process where through my body, I can, I can learn, I can get better, right? I, it gets less painful. I feel less out of control, less chaotic, and I have more skill at directing my body in the way that I wish for it to go. That, that sort of happens with grief too. It, it is still a powerful, painful, sometimes out of control part of our life, but it also settles in a little bit. And we have a relationship with grief that feels, um, again, less painful and out of control than it does maybe right at the very beginning. And also, I notice when you're doing this that you lean in. Eventually, you have to lean into it. Yeah. Yeah. I also do a flying trapeze, which uh, is not in the TED Talk, but flying trapeze, you know, there's a moment where you grab the bar and you have to jump. There's no, you can't sort of do it. You have to do it. You just have to jump. And that kind of practicing of courage is also super helpful in grief, right? You just yeah. have to go back to that restaurant or you have to visit with your in-laws or you have to do the thing that's really hard in light of loss, right. but you do it that first time. And then it gets a little easier all the times after. I have to tell you, uh, my youngest daughter, Heather, um, was uh, involved in a divorce, a very upsetting divorce, and she did uh, roller skating. Where they bump into each other. Roller, yeah. Oh, that? roller derby. Yes, that oh, was that's roller derby. Roller derby, okay. And they roller had the outfits derby. and the whole nine yards. It was Her geez. name was H-Bomb, and she wore the net yeah. stockings and all that, and skating with a group of women. And what a great way to get out a little bit of aggression, right? <laughs> to sort of safely and appropriately be fierce and angry and powerful. You know, we need that in our grief too. Absolutely, absolutely. Now, you, you must have had, uh, I thinking about the circus thing, you happen to maybe be lucky enough to have that in your neighborhood, I mean, in your vicinity, right? Yeah, I live in the Twin Cities, Minneapolis and St. Paul, and we have a, a circus training school here that trains children, some of whom go on to be professional circus artists, go on to Cirque du Soleil. So it's quite a well-established training school. 
But that means that there's a bunch of adults running around the Twin Cities who did circus when they were kids and they still want to do it. So there's a lot of circus availability here, which is certainly not true of every city. So I feel lucky to have been here when I needed something like that. Yeah, I, I know Bessel uh, Vanderkoop talked about his son being depressed and he uh, went into acting. Mm -hmm. So that is something that you can do in a lot of communities too. You can take on another character and take the risk of going on stage and finding a community group and actually acting. And that's still movement, right? Maybe it's micro movement as you're adjusting your facial expressions or your body posture, but it's still really thinking about how you hold your body and move your body and communicate emotion through your body, which is what, you know, we're doing in an aerial practice. And I now do with my patients, you know, as a psychologist, I'll bring people to the trapeze rig and see how they feel to jump off the board. And, um, I think it can be super empowering for people to feel unstuck because they're literally just moving something, anything. Right. Yeah. So, so Sherry, I'm just wondering when your dad and brother died in a six month period, were you afraid that somebody else was going to die? I, I was, and I think that's pretty common from a sort of shattered okay. assumptions framework when you realize that all manner of terrible things can be possible in your life, it's hard to know where that terribleness could potentially stop, right? It's hard to regain a sense of safety when there's been such a shattering experience. How do people gain a sense of safety after that? I think it's practice. You know, okay. it really is practice. I felt like I was, I had a bit of a choice to continue risking to, to love people, to love my kids, love my husband, even though I know that they're impermanent. Or I could sort of can cut my losses and turn down my love and kind of harden against the possibility of more grief and sort of close the door and be like, I, I don't want any more grief, so I'm not going to open my heart. And I had the choice. I feel like I made a choice to be open to risk and vulnerability and with 100% certainty, more heartache, you know. I'm, I'm identifying with this so much because, you know, my husband died two and a half years ago and mm -hmm. I met a man who's a psychologist and, and, you know, I'm 83, almost 84 and he's 80. And I thought, whoa, do I want to risk being in this relationship? But I decided to, and it's just a fabulous, mm -hmm. it's what you said. Do I have less love or do I take the risk and go for it yeah and it's also what I say about my brother I I you know it's better to have known him for 17 and a half years and have lost him than never to have had him in my life at all sure I think the other thing that I've learned about grief is that I've I am surviving it right yeah. these unimaginable things have happened and You're I'm still, still here <laughs> I'm still kicking I'm still doing circus and so my learned experience now is that I can withstand all manner of heartache. It's not my choice. I don't want to, but it's possible. I like that. And, you know, we always say as therapists, and, and I really believe it as a person, that the more the more learned experience of the tough times, the more you enjoy the good times. There's yeah. kind of a continuum of if you risk and get out there, then 
you know, you really do enjoy those good times. Now you did have another thing and we did touch on it briefly, but I know our audience would like to hear li uh, about the suicide of your brother as far as how, how did you deal with it? And do you have any advice for people? Is there any difference uh, in that situation? I think for me, um, well, I wrote my book, Touching Two Worlds, to in one way process these two different kinds of losses that happened really close together. Some of the unique things about suicide, one is that it's it's a traumatic bereavement. My The loss of my dad was sad. I miss him, but I was with him. I sat with him. I was sort of in the process with him. So it wasn't traumatic for me in the same way that getting the phone call seemingly out of the blue felt uh, regarding my brother. I think the other um, heartache for me about losing my brother the way that I did is that he died alone. You know, he died without comfort. He died without the presence of myself or his mother or just someone to hold his hand. And that creates a darker shadow of grief for me. Um, I think, you know, very commonly for people who lose someone to suicide, and I'm certainly not exempt from this, is some extra mental gymnastics around how could I have not seen this would happen or what could I have done to prevent it? There's some shame and blame and guilt process that um, is an extra layer on top of grief. And you know, there's no easy way out of all of that, but it is common. And most people who have that kind of loss do walk through it in some way or another. And Sherry, it sounds like there's a lot to unpack. Yeah. yeah. Should have, would have, could have. There's just a lot of, it's complicated. Yeah. It's a complicated grief. I mean, we have a category for that in, in clinical psych, right? Yep. And your book's going to be helpful for people to look at your life, I'm sure, and how you've dealt with those two great losses. Yeah, in my book, I've really attempted to hold the line between myself as a psychologist who has a mission to be helpful, um, and then myself as a human who is just really telling stories about the things that I walked through and the things that I felt and the things that I learned. So it's um, not prescriptive. It's not heavy-handed but I also don't want to leave uh, readers with just a sense of sadness, right? There's kind of a combination of story and reflection and ideas for how to find hope in the aftermath of loss. I love that. Now, where can people get their book and where can they find you? The book is called Touching Two Worlds and it is widely available. It's at your local bookstore. It's on Amazon. It should be pretty easy to find. Um, I also host circus classes for people who have maybe been in recent grief. So I'm doing one this August. Uh, I do them periodically. So if people are interested in that, they can uh, see sherrywalling.com and uh, learn more about those possibilities. Oh, that's great. People could even fly in for that, right? Oh, yeah. Yep. Make I a weekend that. of it. Oh, fantastic. That's great. Well, listen, I want to thank you so much for being on the show today. And it's so important in bringing this mind trip into the body and, you know, being a whole, the whole being. My pleasure to be with you. Thanks for the conversation. Absolutely. I agree with my mom, Sherry, and I love the name of your book because you are certainly helping people find hope in the landscape of loss. Thank you so much. Thank you.
And thanks everybody for joining us on the show today. And Heidi and I always want to remind you that if you've lost hope, please lean on ours until you find your own and God bless. I'm Dr. Heidi Horsley. You have been listening to Open to Hope, the podcast. You can follow Open to Hope on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. To learn more, visit us at opentohope.com and go to Apple Podcasts to subscribe. I'm Dr. Gloria Horsley. Join us again next week for another Open to Hope conversation where we invite you to lean on our hope until you find your own.